Hello, Dr. Ricky Aronson, and welcome to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After, a seriously humorous guide to heterosexual love, gender differences, and sex. In today's episode, Sex and Sexuality Part 2, I'll be covering Does Size Count? Why Friendship is So Important in the Bedroom? Why It's Important to Maintain Spontaneity and Routine? And finally, I'll be giving you eight easy strategies to improve your sex life. Now, importantly, I haven't evaded the issue of penis size. So that's the really big question. You might be surprised, but the answer to does penis size matter is not usually. Women are sophisticated, touchy-feely beings who usually value mood and emotions more than an extra inch or two, which if you understand the design of a vagina really doesn't make that much difference because in most cases, a penis doesn't get fully inserted and using its full length anyway. And most male members end up a similar size when erect within reason anyway. Women can enjoy lust and physicality just like men, but the evidence doesn't support the notion that their predominant source of excitement is penile length. When surveyed, most women prioritize other physical and personal qualities that attract them, like sense of humor and the quality of the relationship and the mood they're in, the interaction they're having. It turns out that a normal-sized male is sufficient to bring a woman to climax in most circumstances if the stars align and everything else works. There are many factors that can lead to failure in this area, but they are seldom related to the magnitude of the guy's anatomy. Men become unnaturally obsessed with their trouser snakes from an early age, but women having actual brains and emotions have more complex needs than just a man with a big ding-dong, which most of them even admit is not an attractive anatomical accoutrement on its own merits. Do you want evidence? Get married. Men never ask their wives to put clothes on, but wives say frequently, put that thing away, it's not attractive. Studies have shown pretty clearly that the size of the male sex organ is not a major factor in female sexual pleasure. And in saying that, of course, there are women that find large, shall we say large-sized men attractive. Women are sexually more complex than their male counterparts on average. Many men are happy to strip naked, hop into bed, and start thrusting, whereas most ladies generally factor what guys find as seemingly unimportant details, such as how much they like their partner, the quality of the relationship, the patience and skill of their lover, and whether this is the right timing and mood for lovemaking. Women can accommodate men of all shapes and sizes and still enjoy themselves. Isn't it interesting that men are often hard and rigid by nature? but women find a way to fit neatly around them and create something more refined and better for both partners. Does sex imitate life or is it the other way around? Now, one of the really important other factors in bedroom quality is being best friends. So if partners can be best friends in and out of the bedroom, that certainly enhances sexuality because the bedroom is a workplace like any other. So having a best friend in there with you, not judging you, sharing, caring about your emotions is also of great consequence. So like everything else, making your partner feel valued generally will enhance your sex life if you express appreciation for them. But be careful about compliments because the quip 
you're the greatest lover I've ever been with, isn't recommended after great sex if you are newly together. It invites awkward questions. If you want to compliment a female partner, stay with words like beautiful. When wishing to compliment your partner's anatomy, men enjoy terms like massive and huge, whereas women mostly do not. The importance of a stable relationship is that it allows moments of sexual intimacy to provide opportunities for sharing concerns, needs, desires, and emotions on a much higher level. Giving and receiving love should be a major component of making love. This creates emotional depth in the sexual relationship that enhances pleasure. Anxiety is a major antidote to sexual enjoyment and function, whereas complete surrender enhances enjoyment. Anxiety is a major antidote to sexual enjoyment and function, whereas complete surrender enhances enjoyment. Stability of the relationship breeds a sense of safety and security. You can express yourself without feeling self-conscious. The underlying integrity of the relationship will often determine how freely you can express yourself and avoid self-doubt. And yes, we men know that women can fake orgasms, although we like to think that the ones we induce are always genuine. I'll have you know that men can also fake orgasms. But why would we? Enhancing stability in a sexual relationship is also about making your partner feel less self-conscious. Don't worry so much about performance. Share pleasure. Touch each other. Give each other compliments. Be intimate together. Make each other feel comfortable and happy. And don't focus so much on things that go wrong. Laugh about those things if possible. Now, the other thing is fidelity. Infidelity is obviously a great antidote to good sex. And I'm a huge fidelity guy. I'm very into people staying faithful to their partners. You can ruin a family, destroy a relationship for what? 30 minutes of pleasure or, you know, in your case, two minutes of pleasure. So it's just not worth it. If your relationship's not working, try to fix the relationship. Don't go and cheat on your partner. I'd be remiss in not pointing out that it's not always men who try to initiate an affair. I had an awkward experience as a 20-year-old when a female friend invited me over for coffee. Everything was going well until she turned up with a tray of coffee naked. Apparently, she misunderstood what I meant when I asked her for a skinny latte. I was looking for a caffeine fix, not a full service. Since I had a girlfriend at the time, I abandoned the coffee and the offered dessert and fled with my tail between my legs, so to speak. This was a complete contradiction to my usual life philosophy that you should never say no to a good cup of coffee. To avoid your sex life becoming a chore, tempting you to look elsewhere, you simply must work on ensuring that it does not. Communicate with each other about desires. Tell your partner what you do and don't like. How else will they know? Have an affair with each other by trying spontaneity and variation. Surprise them. Experiment with something new. When your partner arrives home from work, ambush them in the bedroom. But remember, timing is important. If my wife came home from a long evening shift in the emergency department and found me lying naked in bed waiting for her, the only rolling pin in action would be the one my wife fetched from the kitchen to smack me on the head with. On the other hand, if I arrived home late after a long shift, and found my wife waiting in bed naked, well, let's just say that naked women don't grow on trees or 
all men would take up gardening. What about vacation sex? Stimulate your own affair to get re-excited with each other. Engage in steamy novelty together. Change scenery. Travel together. Spend quality time together in different settings. Using whatever props, outfits, visual aids that you like. Keep sex fresh. Now, here's the problem with vacation sex. Wife's question to husband. Why do you expect more sex on vacation? It's exhausting enough having to drag the kids around, never mind having to manage a husband on heat all the time. Husband's answer. Why would anyone bother to spend money and go away if not for extra sex? Now, what about societal views on sex? For all its simplicity, sexuality always confuses society. At the moment, social commentators and advertisers love to portray sex as a meaningless physical act that is the same for male and female alike. Women should be just as sexually aggressive as men, and it's sexist to consider any alternative. What is not always acknowledged or accepted is that men and women do not always have the same emotional response to sex or that women are far more sexually vulnerable and at much higher risk of abuse. So historically, the far greater majority of perpetrators of rape, pedophilia, and sexual abuse have been men. Now, of course, there are some female abusers, but they are a small minority. Teenage girls are more vulnerable to the consequences of sexuality. Why? Because we know that women are much more emotionally connected in many ways than men. So sex is often far more tied up in emotion than it is for teenage boys. So it's important that society teaches men about consent, about sexual respect and boundaries, but also teaches women how to protect their physical and psychological well-being. Likewise, young men have to be responsible and I think it's far more important to bring them up respecting women than the current fashion of treating all men as misogynists, which is just going to alienate young men and does nothing positive. I'm always about bringing people together. But keep in mind that adolescent boys are not generally the most mature, sensitive, and responsible member of our species, but they become libidinous and sexually able from their early teens. So it is a fair generalization that many 14-year-old boys are keen on sex, but not very interested in long-term relationships an attitude that doesn't always disappear with chronological maturity. Many men and boys are happy to reduce sex to a purely physical act, but for many teenage girls, sexuality comes with far greater emotional consequences, and it's usually females who complain about being used for sex, whereas many men would be delighted to dispense with the inconvenience of emotional commitment and conversation if they had a chance to become sex objects. It's the male dream to be a sex object. Of course, this is a generalization that has exceptions because guys do fall in love with women and suffer emotional consequences if things go wrong. And there are women who find short-term pleasure and fulfillment in physical sexual gratification without commitment fulfilling. Nevertheless, many sexual encounters carry more emotional and physical risk for female participants than males not to mention the risk of pregnancy and a higher risk of damage from sexually transmitted diseases. It's a contradictory media message to cheapen women's bodies and sexuality everywhere, yet then we act surprised when we hear about rampant sexual abuse. Trivializing sex and objectifying female sexuality in the media tends to put women at risk 
because it really plays into the hands of male sexual abusers who want the world to be reduced to sex only and turn women into sex objects. Sex is really not just a physical act. It isn't just like scratching an itch. So even when sexual harassment does no physical harm, there is resultant psychological and spiritual damage that can be profound. So it is a psychological and spiritual issue, not just a physical issue. The basis of civilized behavior is respect, but reducing sexuality to pure physical animalism plays into the hands of male sexual dominance, which likes the agenda of turning women into sex objects. Men must be conditioned to respect women and consent from an early age, but we want a society that allows women to express their sexuality safely and without threat, because sex should be something beautiful and enjoyable and it can only thrive in a culture of mutual respect. When women enjoy healthy sexuality, men benefit equally. But we also live through times which are very confused about what constitutes normal sexuality. And we often find that when men try and initiate sex with women and women don't want it, that that's called sexual harassment. But that's very unreasonable because unless people try and initiate sex, no sex will ever happen. If a man never initiates physical contact with a woman, how will he know if she's interested? So it's not about men sexually molesting women, but a guy who thinks a woman is interested, who leans in to kiss her and she says, no, thank you. He hasn't sexually harassed her if he stops at that point and apologizes, or if he touches her lightly on the shoulder and she pushes him away or she looks uncomfortable, he needs to stop. So men shouldn't be touching women without consent, and that can be verbal or physical, but at times, there's no question that human beings do flirt with light physical contact. And as long as that's done respectfully with consent and in a sensible way without making someone feel uncomfortable, that's just how humans initiate sexual contact. You can't turn every case of a guy being interested in a woman who's not interested in him into sexual harassment. As long as he apologizes, turns around and walks away when he's got it wrong and he doesn't touch her in places that are clearly off limits without consent. One of the problems created by the media and by television and movies is that sex is portrayed as something that is always spectacular with people cavorting and screeching constantly with pleasure. But like with any other worthwhile endeavor, a healthy sex life requires hard work, working on your relationship, putting aside special protected time for sex, putting energy and effort into your sex life communicating, talking about your needs and desires. It's not just a matter of two naked people romping around in bed, screaming in pleasure. And one of the problems is that there are many young people who present to doctors nowadays with sexual dysfunction because they feel very intimidated by unrealistic expectations of sex. And so when they have sex, they find that it's not quite as spectacularly pleasurable all the time, that it's not so easy and that things don't always work perfectly, and they think there's something seriously wrong with them when all they are suffering from is being human. So I do think that educating young people about realistic expectations of sex is important and emphasizing the great benefit of a healthy underlying relationship. Now, I did promise you eight easy strategies to improve your sex life. So the first one is investment is proportional to outcome. The more effort you put in, usually the more you get out. So if you don't ever have sex, you'll never have good sex. So re-engaging in sex 
putting aside time for sex and intimacy, putting effort into your relationship and your sex life is the most important factor in having healthy, good sex. So once again, put aside special time, put a lock on your door and ensure that you have protected time for sex. Remember, practice makes perfect. So the second strategy is focus more on shared pleasure instead of the act itself. There is great profound emotional fulfillment in giving to someone you love, in giving them physical pleasure. So it's not just about yourself. It's about the other person as well. And pleasure is nice. So when each of you is giving each other pleasure, it doesn't matter that much whether the act itself is that great. Just the shared pleasure is an end in itself. So strategy number three, remember that sex is supposed to be fun. Don't take it all too seriously. It's supposed to be enjoyable. So things don't always go right, but it's the cheapest way that you can spend a Saturday night having fun together. It doesn't cost anything. So try and have a good time. Strategy number four is focus on your relationship. Remember that your biggest sex organ is the one in your head. So how much you love each other, how much you express appreciation for each other. So praising someone all the time and appreciating them makes them feel good. They feel good about you. They want to have sex with you more often. When you're praising and appreciating them, you get positive vibes about them. You want to have intimacy and sex with them. So bringing your relationship closer together with positivity is a great way to stimulate a better sex life. Strategy number five is to keep it fresh. You can get sensory fatigue if you do the same thing all the time. So although it's important to have routine, to put aside special protected time for sex, if you can maintain some spontaneity and try for some variety, different positions, different moods, different locations, these things are all important. But be careful about public sexual acts because that can get you arrested. Strategy number six, keep talking about your sex life together. Otherwise, how will you express your needs and your desires to your partner? And if they don't know what you want, they're going to have a hard time satisfying you. But also with your biggest sex organ being your brain, if you keep sex on the brain by talking about it all the time, it remains in your thoughts and then you increase your libido and you want to have sex more. Remember, out of sight, out of mind. Strategy number seven, sex is a language of touch. So you can enhance your sex life by remaining tactile. Give each other lots of affection. Stroke each other's hair. Hug and kiss every time you part. Keep touching each other because that's a big part of healthy sexuality. But men, just one issue there. Don't molest your wives when they're busy. Women who are cooking, who are cleaning, who are doing housework, which you should be helping with, by the way, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. Those women don't always want to have their buttocks slapped or you know, grabbing their breasts. Uh, that's sexual harassment in the workplace. They're busy. Rather help them. And that's the second part of that. I wanted to mention that there are good studies that show that men who participate more in housework, where there's more share of the domestic load, get rewarded with more sex. And that's evidence-based. And there's many theories about that, ranging from the fact that a good relationship is one where both partners are helping each other. So that means the relationship is healthy. It's not just about sex. It's about both partners giving each other what they need and not exhausting your wife by making her do all the housework. Then she comes to bed 
too tired to give you sex and she won't be in the mood because she's tired. So always help your wife. Only one issue there, kitchen counters. In movies, they're always used as a great place to have sex, but in real life, they are hard and cold and uncomfortable and definitely better for culinary delights. So not the best spot. Strategy number eight, stay fit and physically in shape. Better core strength leads to better sexuality and better sex. And if you can maintain physical fitness, you can prolong the longevity of your sex life because if you're physically fit, you have better blood supply to your pelvic organs and your libido is likely to be higher. So people who are sickly, who are not getting enough rest, who are not taking care of themselves, their hypothalamus reduces activity and that reduces their sex hormones, and so their libidos go down. So sex is very much tied to physical and mental health. So take care of all of those things and take care of yourself physically. So there's direct evidence that better core muscles and strength does lead to more pleasurable orgasms. So I think you've heard enough about sex for this episode. Go out and enjoy yourselves responsibly. Thanks for listening to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And I'd love you to share this podcast with any friends, family, or colleagues who might be interested in the show. The content and opinions on these podcasts are my own and do not reflect the views of my employer or affiliates. Content is not intended as a substitute for professional health and relationship advice.